Welcome to Banking on KC. I'm your host, Kelly Scanlon. Thank you for joining us. Rejoining us on this episode is Dr. Carmeletta Williams, the Executive Director of the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City. And she's going to be giving us an update on some of the new programs and initiatives the Black Archives has underway. Welcome to the show, Dr. Williams. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for inviting me. When we chatted almost exactly this time last year, as a matter of fact, you gave us an overview of the mission of the Black Archives and the work that goes on at the museum. So for our listeners who may have missed that episode, before we start talking about your new initiatives, tell us a little bit about the museum and its mission. The Black Archives is 46 years old. It was started by Horace Michael Peterson III. Horace started collecting buttons and brochures and storing them in the trunk of his car from the time he was in middle school. And he would tell his friends that he was going to open a black museum. They would laugh at him, of course, tell him that wasn't going to work. He was never going to make any money. But he stayed committed to that. And the mission of the Black Archives is all based on Horace's dreams to collect, preserve, share, and educate people about the history of African Americans in the Midwest, in the country, in the world, but focusing on Kansas City. Yes, and it does have a national reputation, and I know that you work with partners all across the country. And one of the programs that you were hoping to start when I talked to you last is the Genealogy Lab. But at that time, the museum, like all of us, was operating under COVID restrictions. And you were also searching for computers that could run the genealogy software. Now I understand, though, that you have it up and running and it's open to the public. Why did you work so hard to create the Genealogy Lab, Dr. Williams? Well, because it's important to know the history of African-American people. And depending on who wrote the books, who published them, who bought them, the history of Black folk has been cloaked and had to be discovered and uncovered. And so that was our mission, was to educate people and to collect, preserve. So that's what we did. And people were calling us literally every day asking if we could help them find some family information. And we couldn't. We didn't have the equipment. We didn't have the personnel. We didn't have the software. Thank you, Country Club Bank, for the donation of computers. So we have computers in that section. We partnered with uh, Midwest Genealogy, and they have told us what software programs we should buy. But we also today had a relationship with the church that told us the aboutfamilysearch.org. So we've been really fortunate in moving this forward. But it's important that people understand where they came from, what their roots are, because we all have them. Without that foundation, then it makes it a little hard to build a life, to build a self-identity, and certainly a racial identity. Well, and it's right in line with the museum's mission. Much of what we do here is dictated by what our community asks for and what they want. People routinely come in and give us boxes of their keepsakes, their artifacts, their documents, because they think it's important that those things be preserved. Same thing with the inquiries from our community. The questions they ask 
guide us in what people think are important to them. So we try to act on those and honor their request. Today, uh, right before I came on to this podcast with you, I had a gentleman downstairs who's a Marine and brought us some books about blacks and military service. So it's a wide, broad spectrum of, of things that we need to address and we need to support. And that's what we're trying to do. It's interesting that the community actually helps to determine what is going to be preserved. And in that sense, it really is a museum that belongs to all. Yeah, we consider ourselves the community's partner. We look for community partners, and Country Club Bank has been a wonderful one. But also, we want the community to know that we partner with them, and we are here to help them with their needs and and their desires and how they self-identify. Let's go back and dive into the details about the genealogy lab. Do you need an appointment to come in and use the lab? You don't need an appointment, but it would be better if you had one, because we have limited staff. Midwest Genealogy has said that they would come and do some community training, have a session where people who are really interested can come in and uh, work through the software and get to their desired goals. If you know what you're looking for, please come here. You're welcome. It's available. You just walk in, but it would be better if you called and made an appointment. It's 816-221-1600. How do I get started? You said if there's something in particular that you want to know about, you're welcome to come on in. But let's just say I just have a healthy curiosity about my ancestors or one or two distant relatives that I maybe have heard about but really don't know anything about. If I don't really know how to trace genealogy, what do I do? Well, bring in what you know. There's always a ground somewhere. If you know your parents' name, then you can find their birth certificates, find your grandparents' names. You can also find if they served in the military. There is a narrative census that I have found extremely valuable, and it'll tell you who lived in the house, how much education they had, whether they were literate or not, what they did for a living, and who their neighbors were. So that gives you so much information to build off of. And if you have more information, bring it, and that'll get you to other sources that'll verify what it is you want to know or give you information. People who have come in have just been doing basic research. Who am I? Where did I come from? One of my board members actually found out that her mother had two brothers the board member didn't know about. So they are finding information that they didn't know And that's always enriching when you're looking at who you are and where you came from. This was one of the big things that you were really trying to get off the ground over the last several months. But you have some other interesting new features as well. I believe you have a Women's Pro Basketball Hall of Fame that you're working on right now. We do. Women's Professional Basketball started in Kansas City, Missouri by a man named Lightning Mitchell. I had no idea. I know. I I didn't know it either. (laughs) He came in. I didn't know him. And he told me that. And I told him that I'm running a museum. I need proof. So he opened up his briefcases and he had proof, including a letter from the NBA that says, what a wonderful idea. Please keep us surprised of your progress. Then a woman who worked for Lightning in that league went to work for the NBA. And the next thing you know, there's a WNBA. And Lightning said that he just wanted those women to be honored. 
He actually paid for all of the exhibits in that room except for the floor. And when it was finished, I'm like, it needs another touch. So we put in a basketball floor. And it's a wonderful space. It shows the history of the league. There were eight teams. One of them was owned by a black woman. Some of the players, we had a soft opening pre-COVID, and they came and signed a basketball. We have that basketball, and the story is there in that Hall of Fame. Lightning wanted them honored, and that's what we're doing there. It's also a very cozy space, and we envision that as a place where people could come, and we have a coffee shop right next to it, get something to drink, and then work on their laptops or their phones and be comfortable and quiet. So what time period did it start? Well, most of these women are alive and well and still working, so it's not that long ago. Uh, In fact, Kansas City's own Sarah Campbell was one of the stars of that league. Yes. Uh, She was a standout at Central High School and played in Mizzou. And she's alive and well and doing well, and she's not very old, so it's not a long, this is not a long ago history, this is recent history. And that's also very important, too. Uh, as you pointed out in the last interview we did, and by the way, for any of you listening today that did not catch that first interview, go back out to the Country Club Bank website, and you'll find all the past archives of the shows. And, and be sure to listen to the one that we did last year, give you a lot more background about the things you'll find there at the museum and how many of the things that we see today are tied into what the museum is now preserving and is becoming a part of the history itself. So be sure to look that episode up. Another thing that you have, you've got some new exhibits as well. Tell us about those. We have a rotating temporary gallery. Uh, Starting July 5th, we're going to have a show called People. And there are two local artists, and they will be exhibiting their work here for a month. And we would love for people to come and see them. Tell us a little bit more about what people will be about. One of the artists is Black and the other is Hispanic. And so they have uh, painted pictures of, of their realities and their culture. And so it's really a mixed viewing of what you will see. But it's, it's powerful, it's artistic, and it's something that you will want to see. And it's only going to be here a month, so please come in July and and see this exhibit. Will you need advance tickets for that or any kind of advance registration, or is that something that you can come and, and be admitted to just right there at the door? We haven't scheduled it yet, but we will have an opening reception that will be limited to people who request that. But other than that, we'll be open 10 to 5, Monday through Friday. So you can just come on by. Well, I want to encourage people to come here. We have a new coffee shop, and we have uh, a few breakfast items, and we have lunch. We close it at 2. We open at 7.30 in the morning. So come in, get some coffee, get something to drink, and enjoy that space. And then right next to that is our gift shop, and we feature mostly local artists. We wanted to have a place where they could display and sell their art. And it has been very active and well welcomed by the community. So people love that space and we love having it here. So it's just right on the north side of the building, has its own entry. So come in to the coffee shop and the gift shop and the Basketball Hall of Fame is in that space too. We call that our West Wing. What do you ultimately hope the Black archives achieves, Dr. Williams? I hope for it to be sustainable. 
we are trying here, I've got a great staff here, to make sure that this is an active place so that young folks will want to come and interact with what we have and that other people won't be bored. This won't be an I've already seen it kind of space, that there's always something new and exciting going on here. I also want it to be financially stable. So we're working on that. We're a nonprofit, but I tell people that that doesn't mean that we can operate without money. So we want our community to know that we are a part of the community. We are a partner to the community and we want to partner with them. So everyone is welcome here at the Black Archives. There's something for all kinds of people. One of our our student workers here today said that he didn't recognize until recently how much work we were doing on women. And uh, he said, and Dr. Carmen emphasizes the work on women, I said, because so much of our history has been hidden. So we're trying to uncover those things. We're broadening our reach. And we want to know that the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City is here for everyone. Well, we thank you for the work that you are doing. Tell us where you're located. 1722 East 17th Terrace, Kansas City, Missouri. We're in the 18th and Vine Historic District. We're actually on like 17th Terrace in Highland, and we share a parking lot with the Urban Youth Academy and with a community center. Parking is free. Admission to the exhibits is free. So please come down and visit us. And thank you. You make my heart sing talking about (laughs) our place. We have invested a lot into opening up the archives to all people and to keeping it active. And I appreciate you recognizing that, Kelly. Thank you. Oh, well, there are so many gems in Kansas City, and this is one of them. And thanks to Country Club Bank, they help to shine a spotlight on a lot of organizations like yours. And so, And as you say, though, you don't just make one trip. There's plenty to see there and, and a lot of new things always in the rotation. So thank you again for everything that you do. We appreciate you being on the show today. Thank you. Take care now. This is Joe Close, president of Country Club Bank. Thank you to Dr. Carmeletta Williams for being our guest on this episode of Banking on KC. Country Club Bank is honored to play a role in helping Dr. Williams and her team with the launch of the Genealogy Lab at the Black Archives of Mid-America in Kansas City. We all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us and knowing and understanding our past can open the door to our future as individuals and as a community. Yet tracing ancestry is not easy for African-Americans. So we are fortunate to have such an important resource here in Kansas City. Thank you, Dr. Williams, for your advocacy and hard work to bring the Genealogy Lab to fruition. Thanks for tuning in this week. We're banking on you, Kansas City. Country Club Bank, member FDIC.